like what you and I are into and what we're about to talk about, mm-hmm. it might not be for everybody. Like, right, trying I mean, to kill big deer. We're talking about hunting big mature whitetails. Yep. If you don't like it, sorry. Perfect. Howdy and welcome to another episode of the Painted Arrow Podcast. We are fresh out of the Great American Outdoor Show. Fresh is, well, now we're fresh, right? Yeah. (laughs) Long week, real long week. We almost had to take a vacation from the vacation. Oh, yeah. But we're back in the office. We're back cooking. And uh, it's good to be back. You know, it was a good show, but it was was the grind everybody told us it'd be. Mm -hmm. I I think we... Like we're not as willing to complain necessarily. Can I make a comparison? I wish you would. So, you you know full well, like, let's say we're going elk hunting, right? We happen to live in Michigan. So, what that would require is we're going to take a week off of work. We're going to drive through the night to get there because... You know, we want to spend as little amount of time driving as possible. Yep. So we're going to deadhead it out there. We're going to hunt for a week, and then we're going to deadhead it back. Yep. You know what you feel like after that type of week. I kind of felt similar to, like, yeah. a backcountry elk hunt. Just chew you up and spit you out. That's kind of how I felt. Yeah. Yeah, it's because you're just burning the candle at both ends. Like, it's a different type of hard. Like, the elk hunt is obviously way more physical, but, like, this is a mental deal. Like, you're standing and talking to people all day, every day, yeah. for nine days. And it's, it, <clears throat> monotonous is not the right word, but you're given the shame, same spiel over and over and over and over and over. Yeah. And trying to not, you know, come off less genuine each time or whatever, right? Like you're trying to stay sharp. Yeah. But it's, it's, a, it's it, a grind. It's a great point though. Like you, you're, you're making the same, like I, I, I was very happy to share the word of God with everybody that walked by. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I'm I'm joking by saying that, but I was happy to share like our products with everybody, but I feel bad for the guys on day 8 and 9 cuz I was just like a little over it. Then get my A game. You know, the other part of that too is <clears throat> we own the company. Like nobody wants to represent the product better than we do. Right. So if you can just imagine some of these huge companies that that send these people to these shows, like it it'll burn you out, and like nobody cares more about our product doing well than you or I. Yeah. So everybody came so by like, at our best. Yeah. I mean, exactly. We had to. Exactly. So, but it, it it it's hard to stay sharp for that long for sure. But it was a good show. I I think it was super worth it. We'll yeah. go again. I think. We're gonna go again. Yeah. I think that's where we're gonna make growth is when we continue to do the same shows because people will come back and be like, oh. Those guys, you know? Yeah. But. Can I say something? Please. So, in the last handful of weeks, we've been talking a lot about the Mag Pro and our products and our brand and all those things. And not that we don't love talking about that, but that's more of been a function of the season that we're in. We're coming into which what most companies would recognize as the show season. And that kind of happens in the off season of hunting. Um, but it's been important to Nate and I to really try to figure out how to basically continue to provide value to the listeners and not feel like we're just jumping on here selling to you every day. 
because that's not why we do the podcast. Like it's it's cool, and we're not, you know, we don't have a bunch of paying sponsors that we have to talk about or anything like that. We we want to talk about our own products, and we like them. But this podcast has always been a way for us to document where we're at in our own journeys as outdoorsmen and where we're at with our properties and document all that let you guys learn some stuff hopefully you learn some stuff but mainly it's it's a diary for us to, be able to look back and see where we were we were at at different times during our mm-hmm. years and so i think where i'm going with this is that today and in podcasts going forward we're really going to try to continue to provide value um and have different guests on different topics talk about just different things that aren't just about our products. Right. So um I think you said it too, but it's there's a seasonality to it. Yeah. When we're going full tilt on show season, like that's just kind of where we it's where we our are. minds are at. Yeah. But um but today I'm going to ask you some questions. Um you're coming up on a pretty big year. Um for people who don't know, you you bought when you bought your property, you bought it and it was already enrolled in a in a CREP program, right? CREP. So explain to people what that is. So the I CREP, guess the short version. Yeah, the short so CRP, most people mm-hmm. use that term and I think I think a lot of people use that term not really knowing what it is. Yeah. Um I'm I'm gonna try not to take too much time, but I do wanna because I yeah. see it miss yeah. misused and misinterpreted. Uh, so basically the CRP program is a government-ran program, and there's something called the CREP, or CREP program, which is very similar, but um, CRP stands for Conservation Conservation Reserve Program, and the CREP is the Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program. And basically, it, it, you know, to qualify for the CREP program, it's just based more upon where you are located, certain watersheds, certain areas there. I think they're just basically paying out more um, per acre on that. But it's a USDA program. And they basically, it, there's an enrollment period every year. I've seen recently every year in, in the spring, there's a an email that comes out in the USDA newsletter. And you can basically have somebody come out and look at your, your property. And if everything kind of, you know, fits their criteria, you then get paid out for a term based on uh, the amount of ground you have and you get paid out annually on that ground and the the whole idea behind it is it's native um, forbs grasses legumes and it's basically really great for wildlife and it's really great for soil because typically the places that are getting this is farm ground right so soil erosion is a huge issue Right when you yeah. when you till the dirt every spring, every fall, every spring, every fall, every spring, every fall, that ground over time it literally like erodes, mm-hmm. and so this the, the you know the specific plant um, mix that you would plant for the CRP program, it's real thick in the in the roots that go in the ground, the root bed, yeah, and it it just firms up the ground. Yep. So that's a long way of answering it, but the CREP program is a it's based on the area I'm living in. There's a term, I think I'm on a 15-year term, and they're paying me per acre to basically not farm it and have this native grass. And that's on a portion of your total property, right? Yep. Somebody, again, I was I didn't live there when it got enrolled originally, but um, somebody came out from the USDA, and they looked at your ground. They take some, like, aerial 
um, points, mm-hmm. right? So they got a, an idea of where the ground is enrolled at, and then they, they start you out. You plant it, and you maintain it. So what, what percentage of your property or how many acres do you have in? 51. 51 acres. 51. It's a lot of grass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is a lot of grass. So, and you're coming, so when you bought it, you already, they were already deep into the contract. About halfway through. Okay. And how long was the contract? 15. 15 years. Mm. And so I had the, uh, I had the option of, uh, of basically, you know, continuing it or, or not. Oh, really? So like the, the acquisition of the property was like a. You could have terminated at that point. I honestly got mixed answers when I, because I, at the beginning I didn't want to do it. Mm. I didn't want to continue the program. Yeah. But there was a good payout, you know, annually with it. Yeah. And at the time I, I was like, eh, but you know, it wouldn't be the hor- worst thing in the taxes. world. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be the worst worst thing in the world. So I signed it and can you know agreed to continue it, but I didn't understand. I still don't understand if I you know when property changes hands. Would the person who's selling it be responsible for making the payback, or would it be the person, the buyer? Oh, so it wouldn't have just been a free and clear termination. You would have had a a think, portion that would have had to been paid back. But I think if I would have not agreed to pay it back, somebody would have had to to make those payments back to the government gotcha. for breaking the contract because the gotcha. contract was a 15-year. So I never really got clarity on that, and I've heard it in two different ways from two different people like, the buyer would have been responsible or the seller would have been responsible. Interesting. I still don't know the answer to it. So if somebody is listening who knows that, it'd be interesting to find that yeah. information out. Um so now you you decide to move forward with it, obviously. Yeah. Um it was a couple of years ago. But you've got a big year and a lot of learning you've been doing just because you have this big mid contract management yeah. that you have to do. Yeah. Like, what does that look like? What does that mean? Because if I remember correctly, you and I were talking about it, and you could have done it like a year or two ago, and you deferred another year, um, and they give you different options on how you can do the management. Correct. Whether burn or disc. or So, like, explain what they require you to do um, and what you're planning to do. So, basically, um, in a 15-year term, yeah, which is what I'm in. So I'm enrolled, and I'm at I'm at year eight or nine, I think eight. And so I actually got an extension on it because last year, it kind of snuck up on me, and I I didn't I missed the window to do some of these, you know. In terms of the like the window of the year, like the season. Yes. That like, you want to do this in. So. Exactly. So basically, midterm contract management, after you know after so long, like certain. The, the mix what you originally plant when you first start the program, mm-hmm. certain um, weeds or things will take over. Get out of balance. Exactly. Yeah. And so you need to do one of a couple things. You can you can spray, hmm. right? Like with like a herbicide, like herbicide. Yeah. Spray and kill everything off. Yep. You can spray an herbicide. You can lightly disc. You can burn it. Okay. And then there's one more. Um, you can overseed it. Overseed. Which if you overseed, you don't have to disc? Yeah, one of those four things. Huh. And they're all in different times of the year that they recommend it. So if you're going to burn, which is what I'm electing to do because of a couple reasons, uh, you don't have to. That's a great point, too. You don't have to. It specifically spells it out. And I'm I'm, you don't I'm have able to, to I'm able to tell you all of these things because the USDA sends me mail 
and like I read all of the everything on it. So I'm this is what the USDA is recommending. So for your property specifically for any CRP program, program. Yeah. CREP. Yeah, exactly. CREP. Because it can be different. It can be, but yeah. it's it's the same. Okay. It's the same. Generally. All the paperwork I get says CRP on it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, basically, um, you don't have to do your entire property the same way. So, like, when I say that, you don't have to burn all 51 acres. I could take 25 acres and burn it. I could take another 20 acres and overseed it, and I could take another five and disc it. They actually recommend that because it's diversifying almost. Yeah. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to burn a, a good portion of it, but there's some areas where it's just going to be really challenging to burn, and so I'm just going to elect to disc it. Why? Um, explain the overseed option to me. I, I don't know a lot about it because um, I, I'm not interested in it, but basically you can get that mix, and it's, it's a big part of why I don't want to do it is because there's a cost in, in, involved in it. You have to actually buy the seed, and then spray it. I'm sorry, yeah. Spread it. Um, spread it. And what it... Okay. Interesting. I, I feel like if... I'm interested in that one specifically because I feel like if certain grasses or something's getting out of whack and the balance is weird, um, the other options are basically terminating. You're either terminating by disking, you're terminating by herbicide, or you're terminating by burning it, and you're letting yeah. everything kind of start over. So I'm curious about the my own mind i'm curious about the overseed option because i know there's specific parts of your property that probably the ones that you were least interested in for burning because there's certain like you've got some cedars and stuff that you don't want to just kill off by burning so to me the overseed option in that specific area might be interesting because it would allow you to not have to terminate things let it continue to thicken up there and then you could burn in other spots yeah and there's there's a I don't know. I'm weird about the government. Like I don't want. I don't want to ever feel like I owe the government something, or they owe me something, or even though I'm a part of this contract. But <laughs> so there's there's like there's like uh, cost sharing yeah. that they'll do. It's like a fifty fifty. So if I need to buy anything you know associated with this management, I can apply to get you know fifty percent sharing. And for some reason, I don't want to do that. In my mind, I'm like I don't want to. I don't want to like have the government pay me. Yeah. I don't know why I feel weird about that. And somebody would probably think I'm But let me let me play devil's advocate. You just bought a disc for your tractor. You bought a tractor. Like big drivers into buying those. But I don't think that qualifies. Well, I'm not saying it does or it doesn't, but I'm just saying you bought a disc and a tractor so that you could do your mid-contract, you know, management. Yeah. yeah. So, um I'd be interested to understand what all that covers, but the overseed option to me is interesting specifically for that one part of your property that you yeah. and I both know we're talking about just because like you ideally you want that area to thicken up anyway. Yeah. So if there was an option to not terminate that area and can make it get thicker. Yep. That, that interests me a lot. And I'm not, I haven't like officially really decided. I know there, I know the areas that I'm going to burn. Yeah. Let's say that. I yeah. know, I know the areas that I'm going to burn and I haven't really figured out Theories so that I'm not going to burn. Do you yet. have to like submit a sketch to them and say like in this area, these 20 acres, I'm doing this and this? I have to submit a plan. Really? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So on the overseed option, 
does that apl- that that falls within the cost sharing thing? Like that seed you'd yes. have to buy, they would yes. supplement that. Okay, that's correct. But yeah, so like I'm gearing up. You kind of alluded to that, but I'm gearing up for this project because it's like 50 this acres is a project. Is, like 50 acres is no lie. I mean, that's a lot of ground. It's a lot of grass. It's a lot of ground. Yeah, that's, I mean that's that's a lot of ground. So I've been reading a lot about burning. Burning's very interesting to me because. Yeah. Um, it goes way back to like Native Americans. Mm-hmm. They would learn from simply observing, you know, the, we call it the Great Plains. The Great Plains would burn almost every year from lightning strikes. And like the Native Americans, I've read about this, like they were just really like, they th- they saw the good in it. Like, wow, it would just reset things. Like these burns are really great for nature. And everybody it became very fertile soil. Exactly. Things came back. Agri- yeah. And that's where they'd go for hunting. And what do we do? What do you hear on podcasts now? Guys hunting burns. Hunting burns. Why? Because yeah. it's just nutrient rich soil, yeah. right? And and so I'm I'm really interested in that. I think it's the most fun and dangerous too. There's something that's really attractive about that. <laughs> but um yeah. so the idea is like you, you have a burn plan. Okay. And so you basically have to notify your local fire patrol. Department. Yep. And let them know, hey, I'm gonna be burning where I'm living. It's kind of like nonchalant, to be honest with you. I live in a big agricultural area where, I mean, just about every farmer would know about CRP. Yeah. They've done it at some point in their 80 years where they're, you know what I'm saying? Or they know, or they know somebody who's enrolled. Or, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, these guys know CRP. Yeah. It's kind of like, maybe you don't shoot a crossbow, but you know what a crossbow is. Yeah. Or vice versa. Like, yeah. y- y- you just know. Anyways, but... What you do with this with this burn program is you let you notify the authorities. Hey, I'm going to be burning. Yeah, yeah. They used to come out and do it for you. Is what I what I heard. Really? Yeah. The fire department just come out and burn your field for you because it's kind of like a liability thing. I, I don't know. Just huh. we know how to do it, and you don't. And rather than you mess it up and burn somebody else's field down, let's just do it ourselves. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to. You wouldn't even like that though. I wouldn't like you, that. You want to do it? I want to do it. Yeah, I know. So I'm going to I'm going to go around like let's say I got a 20 acre piece. Yep. I have 51 of this, these enrolled acres, but let's say I got a field of 20, which is one of my areas. One of my areas is about 20 acres. So I'm going to go around the entire outer area, and I'm going to take a bush hog and just knock everything down mm-hmm. around the border. Then I'm going to go back, and I'm going to disc it and turn up the dirt. Maybe I'll do one or two passes. I don't yeah. know. I've never disced. Yep. Never done it. Um, so we'll learn. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure there's some just yeah. in those two things that I mentioned. I'm sure something's gonna go wrong. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like something, you know, disc gonna break off or tractor yep. blow up. Something, something good. <laughs> but my plan is, is I'm gonna go around the exterior. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna turn it up to dirt. So basically, that's your fire, fire break. break. Yep. So you you light that big field on fire. Worst comes to worst, it's gonna stop at that dirt. At that dirt. And you know, I might make two passes. It might, you know, it might be the six foot. Um, width of the disc so i might do two to make it 12 if i'm not feeling it i'm sure six is plenty i've, yeah. I've watched a lot of videos like land managers will go around with like a, a blower yeah like a backpack steel blower and they'll blow in the middle of timber like a like a woods and they'll just blow for two days and make that break get it down to soil and then they'll light the whole woods on fire and so like i'm thinking this is going to be plenty but might need to make one or two passes depending on how I feel about it. But, um, so yeah, I'm going to do that. And then they, 
they have different ways and techniques of burning. Based on the wind, too. Based on the wind. So you got to pick a day that's calm, right? And you want, but you want some somewhat of a directional wind, right? Like you don't yes. want a dead day. Correct. Like you're relying on the wind to be a specific that's correct. direction. That's absolutely correct. And the way that I understand it, right? So let, let's just say we have like like your iPhone, right? It's just a, a rectangle. Yeah. So let's just say that's the size of the field. So if you're looking at your iPhone, and let's say that the, there's a north wind. So the wind's coming from the top of the iPhone, pushing to the the bottom of the iPhone. Yeah. Okay. So from your your camera, it's blowing down toward your speaker where you're plugging in your phone to charge it. So basically, if you wanted to do it the fastest, let's say we had a 10-mile-an-hour wind, which is like in my area, that's like a, that's a calm wind. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. We well, got open got, fields. Yeah, but you got vicious crosswinds. Yeah. Like we usually have a 15 to 20-mile-an-hour wind every day. Because it's just it's all open fields everywhere. 10-mile-an-hour 10, 10 and less is like super calm. Wow. Super calm. So, again, north to south wind. Like, if you wanted to just get it down as quick as possible, you'd light it at the north end, right? And it'd just go, and the wind would push it all the way to the south. Yeah. However, the whole point of burning is to actually, that, that chaff on the bottom, like that bed of all the dead grass every year, you want that to actually burn. Mm. So, you would... Burn against burn the it, wind? Burn against it. And so it goes a lot slower, and it actually burns that chaff. Interesting. So you either want to burn with the wind, or you want to burn straight into it, but you don't want to burn across it? No, you can. But, like, just to keep things easy to understand, like, yeah. people do not recommend starting at the north and going to and the south the and going letting the wind push it, because that's when things get out of hand. Yeah. But what you can do, so let's say we got a north-to-south wind, I'm going to start at the bottom of the iPhone in this example. I'll light that, okay? I'll light that. Now this is working up into the wind. It's going slow. It's burning good. What you can do is then walk up into the middle of that field, into the iPhone, right in the middle of it, laying down another bead of of fire. From from, from east to west. Exactly. And then all of a sudden... They meet each other. You got it. Exactly. So if you're trying to time, like the time is a factor in this, you want to get done quickly... You can lay a bead of a fire down, let it burn up against it, walk up in the middle of the field, lay another bead down. The fire's going to meet, but it's also going to go further north as well. And you're doing this with a drip torch. With a drip torch. So explain how that works and what it is. So a drip torch is basically a three-to-one ratio of diesel and gas, mm-hmm. and there's a torch that you light. Um, it's a specific, it's literally called a drip torch. So you get it, you do the mixture, shake it up a little bit, and then you actually light the tip, and it just always stays lit. Mm. And so when you tip it upside down, it drops balls of fire. It's almost like when you burn a piece of carpet and it just drips there, yeah. or plastic or something. Yeah, It's like that, but it's it's tamed. So you just tip it upside down. and Yeah, because gas by itself is highly combustible. Exactly. So the diesel, I imagine, just kind of makes it not explode and makes it just exactly. burn. It's really cool. Yeah. I honestly haven't gotten one yet. I yeah, need to buy one. I just watched a bunch of videos about it. I've watched a bunch of videos on yeah. it. Yeah. It's not very complex. But there's a wick and it burns and yep. when you tip it upside down, drip, 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 and it's just fireballs. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. So you just lay a line. Um but I, I mean I've burned last year I burned a bunch of grass behind the barn and like all I would use is some old gas. Mm-hmm. I would just take the gas tank and just kinda walk it 
and then just light one end, it just goes, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? Because it's combustible. It goes up now. But it does the same thing, right? basically. Right. Yeah. And I was practicing behind the barn last year, knowing that I was going to have to burn a lot bigger areas, you know? <laughs> and I'm, I ain't going to lie to you. Like, it's a little bit. You need more than one one guy out there. Like, you need you need some, yeah. some hands out there. Yeah, I'm going to have probably. I'm going to invite everybody over and feed them and make a day of it. You know what I mean? Like, maybe, especially I mean, if you buy one drip torch, it'd be you with a drip torch. But you probably want somebody manning the tractor and the disc. Yeah. In case you, like there's a specific spot you need to start putting in another You're invited another firebrand. <laughs> yeah. I I was planning on being there. I got some guys from church too that are like, Yeah, it'll be a fun day. We'll come out and help. So I mean I don't I don't know if people can visualize it, but like I can. Fifty acres is a lot of burning. Like well, it is a lot of burning. It's different too. Like you have fifty open acres. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's why it looks so big, is because it's just big and open. Mm-hmm. So but I'm really excited to learn about. I mean, I'm I'm excited to understand what it's going to do for the critters. So like, we're gonna burn in March. The reason we're gonna burn in early March is because for the green up. Well, that too. But pheasants start bedding, mm. doing their nesting and doing that. So we're gonna do it early before there's any ground nesting birds in place. And that's like I was telling you earlier. There's a time for all of those different four methods. Yeah. So if you're gonna till, you're gonna do it at a different time. You don't necessarily do it in the spring. What I say? Till. Yeah. Disc. Okay. I'm I'm not a farmer. You well, know. You, you kind of disc are. till same yeah. thing. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's different times of year that you're going to do those four different tactics. Yeah. So spring's obviously the time you want to burn, or in the fall. That's right. one of the only things you can do in the spring and the fall. But I'm going to do it in the spring early enough so it doesn't hurt any of the critters, and also because I want to do it before. Turkey hunt season. Yeah, they're going to love that. Yeah. Whereas before, you got all the CRP and you can't... Re- I mean, definitely the turkeys move through it. You think you're going to find any sheds? That's a great point, dude. I don't know. Burning your field down? It's going to help. Are we... So, just so I know, the the the, the spot you're specifically going to burn or the one you know you're going to burn, is that the back right now? Yeah. Yeah, that field. Yeah. Okay. And then you're just... You're going to do a couple different things in the front, whether that's disc or whatever you decide to do. I'm going to burn do. the west side in the front. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm just trying to visualize it. You know what I mean? I need to be ready for the day. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to so, be crazy. So knowing that now, does terrain play a factor? Yeah. So I want to I wanted to include something because I, I like talking to the old timers. Yeah. Because they've been around. They yeah. know something. That's um, how you get to being an old timer. The history of, of my property, it's kind of interesting, actually. There was a huge, there was two really big fires on my property before I bought it. Before I was even, like, alive, remotely aware of any of this yeah. that was going to happen with this CRP project here that I'm talking about burning. But there was two fires. So I, I used to, my property used to be um, a hog farm, a hog and cattle farm. And... um they they had hogs. There's two twin barns, and one got lit on fire because they had a heat lamp, and it broke, and it lit the straw on fire, and the barn went up, and it kind of charred a little bit of the current existing barn, which is still there. Use it. Great barn. Great barn. And the hayloft. When you're up in the loft, you can see the woods charred, and it's hardened. It's not necessarily 
you know, the structure is still there. It's sound, but like it's it definitely got a, it got a little heat. Yeah. So <laughs> like that's, that's how I knew that I started asking questions. Neighbor ended up bringing over a newspaper article, a snipping of it and gave it to me after we had met and after I'd moved in, you know, mm-hmm. it'd been a year since I'd lived there, but we, she, she brought it over and thought I'd like it. And I did. I really appreciated that. The other, the other fire, they had a huge hay field, which is what is now CRP. Which field? Um, the east, east field. Oh. Whole thing burnt down, and it went up hot in the middle of, like, August. How? I'm not quite sure what happened, um, but the neighbors were freaking out, and everybody was wetting down their houses with a hose because it was going hot and heavy, hot and heavy. And... And, they, and it uh, was just grass. It was a hayfield, yeah. Huh. It went up though. I, I heard stories about this when I when I was saying I was talking to the old timers. You know who I'm talking about, I think. Don. Mm-hmm. We were talking the other day and he was telling me about this and he said, What you don't want to do is light that muck down there on fire. And really? I had no plans to because it's kind of a it's a it's a I have like a swamp. There's a part of the property that's a swamp. Why'd he say that? I'm curious. He said when that hayfield burnt down, for some reason that swamp just stayed, stayed lit for weeks. I don't know what that means, but he said that. Oh, my. And so I'm not going to burn that. Because I, I, I couldn't get a tractor in there if I wanted anyway. How does that make any sense? He said the mucks is like, it's got, it's toxic or something, and it just lights. It stays lit. It burns a long time. He said, don't light that. Don't light it. It'll burn. We don't want to smell that shit. <laughs> it'll smoke and it'll burn for a long time. You don't want to do that. It's dangerous. Okay. I wasn't planning on it, but I still, I for sure won't now. But in the spring, I won't be able to get a tractor down there because it's going to be too wet. Right. I'll just bury it. Bury the tractor. So I can't make even, my fire break down that area. Even in the south, though, there's some low stuff. Could be. The south field. Could be. Just stay far enough away from it. Yeah, my, my plan is to like... So what is it now? It's February, mid-February? Yeah. So we're talking about three weeks. So get you. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, qu- it's coming here so quick. This isn't far off. So my plan is right now is I'm going to start walking the perimeters, cleaning them up, get the brush out of the way. I just I got the tractor with the bush hog already on it, got everything greased up, ready to rock. I'm going to probably start doing that soon. Really? Just keep it, just keep it disked? Yeah, get, just get get some time on the tractor, learn the equipment, exactly. and just keep it dissed up, keep it dirt. I'll start slow and ease into her, but it's it's happening. Like it's time to go, and uh, I think this is a good beforehand. And like I can maybe do another podcast about lessons learned. Cause yeah, it's going to be a big ground project. I mean, a big big project. So, a lot of this grass is tall. Like we're talking well over your and my head, you know, our heads. Mm-hmm. So when you burn it all down to nothing, like what does that mean for this year? Like, is it come back like one growing season and it's back tall again, or is it like I have no idea? It's going to be a just a short ankle grass field this year. I, I, it's it's really going to affect the deer hunting. I think either way, because I'm going to be out there be a really, lot. Maybe visually from like a cover perspective, I am that worried would be about negative. That. But I, it, but I, but it it also could be a really good thing from a nutrient thing. Like you were just saying, guys are hunting burns. It could be really good for the deer hunting. You just got to figure out how to get in and out of there. And I could burn it every year going forward, too. There's nothing that says I can't manage it, you know, every year. But this contract, at halfway. You have to right have now. have to do it. Yeah. Um, but I, I really do think that with a 
from a pressure standpoint, I think the turkey hunting is going to be excellent. I'll say that. That's my prediction. Because right now I'm kind of hunting the fringes of the grass rather than, like, in the middle of the grass. Yeah. Whereas if we get everything burned down to a char, these, these birds are going to be able to come in, pick the grubs, pick the, pick the you know, everything out. Yeah. Everything that they can't see normally. It's going to be that new little green budding. I think it's going to be a super tall grass here in the areas that we, we burned, right? But I don't think the deer hunting is going to reflect that for some reason. I, I don't know why I feel that way. Mm. I have mixed mixed feelings. Just, just from how much we're going to be out there. I think we're going to be out there a lot. You think? I do. I think this is a weekend deal. You do? Yeah. Bring your boots, buddy. <laughs> They're already loaded. Seriously. I hope I'm wrong. Because, like, you're saying there's certain, I don't even know what they are, like, the, the really tall stuff. Yeah. Foots. I, 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 don't I don't know what know that, that stuff is. is. Yeah. What happens when you burn that? I think I was, I, I think I was told it was called potato weed. Yeah. And the deer love that. But for some reason, I feel like if we burn it off, that's not going to be there. Yeah, it seems like that's one of the things you're burning for, that that's not supposed to be that's there what anymore. I'm yeah. And that's one thing I really like. Because it's a, it's a visual blocker. It's 12 foot tall. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, like the deer, maybe the deer hide in it, but really what it does is it serves your purpose of being able to get in and out of specific areas without just being six foot three standing in the middle of an open yeah, grass field. Exactly. Yeah. But I do, I do think the grass is going to get super tall from from the burning. But do you think that'll happen year one, or do you think I think it's going to happen that spring? It's going to be an outrageous really? growth. Oh yeah. So you think you burn in March and come June, you're going to have grass over your head again? Oh yeah. Really? Absolutely. I don't know if I agree. I don't know. I'm I'm interested. No, I I, I know for a fact. Like if we burn in early March, to, and it goes down to nothing. April showers brings May flowers. It's going to bring. You're going to see new green budded you know grass. you how much fawning is going to happen on your property this year? It's going to be unbelievable, yeah. You're going to have does and fawns on every single camera all the time. That's what I already got, though. Yeah. They love that native grass. They love it. So is is, is what you have on your property considered warm season grasses? Like, you hear that term used a lot. I don't know. Okay. I don't think so. Do you have documentation like on the on a future podcast that you could bring that would talk about like what your mix is, specifically your mix? I think I could easily find that. Like I'd be curious to know like what's whether whatever like regardless of what's there now, what was originally planted and what's it supposed to be. Mhm. You know? Yeah. You know um goldenrod? Yeah. It's basically a weed. Yeah. It's really easily identified because in the fall it turns golden yellow. We get a lot of that, and I think that's one of those weeds that's gonna not not do well after that. I I th- I think I've never done this, but yeah. So another thing, there's like we talked about, there's a spot on your property where the the eastern red cedars have took off quick, fast, and in a hurry, which is it's a very like fast growing tree, and they um what's the word like invasive? they spread very quickly. It's considered invasive, I think. Yeah. That's it's actually very highly debatable, I've found. Really? Like well, either way, they spread quickly. Like they, they grow very quickly around other eastern red cedars, and they just... So is there anything in your contract that uh, that says that those can't be there? I'm sure. Really? I'm sure. Because they provide some cool cover. 
Yeah. For for spots, you wouldn't want. I thought, you wouldn't want that everywhere, but like I thought when I bought the property that some of those cedar trees were planted. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It makes sense though that like one or two got in there, and then your vicious crosswinds just spread it everywhere. Yeah. That's that's what happens. They there are a, yeah. Yeah. I'd be interested in overseeding that specific spot, thicken that up. I wouldn't kill those off. So when you disc, so if you have a if you have a, a field, this is what the 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 verbiage says in some of the pamphlets that they've sent me. So if you're gonna disc lightly, disc they call it, which I don't know what that means lightly. Just not maybe very you're deep. not maybe you're not working the ground until it's entirely dirt. Like you're just disking everything down in, getting the. Uh, I just feel that's a, that's very subjective. Yeah. Well, yeah. Lightly. Lately. Yeah, like, like, what does that mean? Yeah. But anyway, when it's a 20-acre field or more, you're actually not doing the whole thing. So you're doing strips of it. So like a 20-foot strip, leave a 20-foot strip. 20-foot strip, leave a 20-foot strip. Do they have to come out and validate or get any proof that you did it? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I'm just going to say, this 20 acres, I'm going to run up and down the middle of it a couple times and lightly disc. How do they have any idea that you did or you didn't? Well, I, I don't know. I'm curious about that. Like, how do they... They mean in the U.S. Yeah. Like, what, you send them a letter and say, I lightly disked, and they just say, okay, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm going to go down to the office and, and explain Talk to them. them. Yeah. I think, I mean, you are, you've you've already put a ton of thought into it. So if you go down there and you say, look, here's my property. This area I want to burn. This area I'm going to do this. this they're going to just say, okay, thanks, because you're going to bring them more than probably anybody else does. You'd think. I do know, like, like not a lot of other people are putting this much thought into it and doing a podcast about their mid-contract management on their CRP Yeah, contract. most people are just... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Just, like, an- analyzing how it's going to affect their deer hunting and their their turkey hunting. But maybe the- not. I, I haven't found any good information on CRP programs. It's very, like, in my opinion, it's very hush-hush. Like, it's not very clear even when you go to the USDA site of, like, how it works or anything. So I, I, it's fun for me to talk about because if anybody else is maybe having these questions, like, I don't know, you're not the only one. Well, what I found, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you do a lot more reading on this than I do, but if I, where I'm at, wanted to enroll some stuff in CRP, there's not necessarily a guarantee that I could. Like, there's only specific regions within certain counties that are in certain watersheds that are eligible for a CRP program. So this is actually really interesting. So the, so. Cause I looked at this. Yeah. So CRP. Okay. And I'm talking about crap and CRP, like both of these yeah. programs, just, I'm going to call it CRP. Um, there's a, there's a group of people that look at it as like, they look at it as of like negative, like it's a negative program because the, the government's involved, right? Like, I'm, I'm telling you. Yeah. I'm not saying that I believe this, but I, I've gotten this very, uh, I've gotten that opinion from people. Yeah. Like, you don't want to do that. You don't have the government. Like, but they don't, like, it's almost like a hippie, like, PETA approach. Yeah. It's like, like, it, the CRP program is only for people who, like. Tree huggers. Like, like love wildlife. Yeah, I get, I get I'm it. telling you. I get how it probably has gotten that connotation from certain people, I guess. Yeah. And then there's another side that it's like 
it's purely for like soil erosion, right? And so look, I'm I'm looking in in between the lines, and I'm thinking, okay, what's what's good for like wildlife, and what's good for soil erosion, like the things that I care about, like clean water, yeah, good deer hunting, like this is a great program. See, but you have this whole other branch of of farmers and food plot guys and people that are very on the I'm not going to till the ground because it's better approach now which is essentially drilling trying to accomplish the same thing as crp where you're just saying this chunk of ground right here for this amount of years is not eligible to be farmed we're going to let the the root bed mature and we're going to just we're going to give this spot a break exactly but people don't like the program because of the term right you're locked in yeah yeah so, but but in a lot of cases, the government's also paying out at a rate that might be higher than what you're going to get on however, least income. However, that's what I was going to go to with this whole thing. So, like, it used to be pretty shitty in terms the of the payout. Yeah. And so lots of people weren't doing it because they can make – think about it. Think think about this. I'm not going to say a percentage, but there's a lot of people that have ground and they don't farm it. They lease out their ground to the neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Right, because he's a farmer and he's got the big operation. He's got the the, the combine. Right. He does fifty thousand acres, so I'll lease it to him for two hundred bucks an acre. Let's yeah. just say. So CRP is kind of like it's market trending. It's almost like shopping, right? Mm-hmm. For a farmer, if you got a bunch of ground, you know, what what's CRP paying this year? So I've I've listened to a lot of different podcasts too, where they're trying right now to enroll more people. You know what I'm saying? There, yeah. It's, there's a big push for CRP right now. I know right now, every year, there's been an enrollment season. I get the emails. So right now, there's a good payout to combat what they're paying for corn and beans per acre to help more people enroll in the program. Because it's a good program. I'm telling you. If you're about wildlife, if you're about ground nesting birds, if you're about like preventing soil erosion, because I don't care what anybody tells you, I'm telling you right now, like, Farming is not good for like the environment or habitat. It's not tilling the ground multiple times a year is not. No, it's an open. Animals can't live in that field. Right. Right. Obviously, deer and turkeys—they're—they're flourishing off of the corn and beans. But not every animal eats corn and beans. Yeah. Like, what about like grouse? What about like pheasants? We—we don't have hardly any of them here. It's because there's no habitat. This is a lot of fields. So I think it's a great thing. It's a great happy medium. Get paid out on your ground. It's great for wildlife. It's great for pollinators. It's great for a lot of things. So when your contract's up, will you leave part of it in CRP and then allocate some to where, like, you could lease it to a farmer if you wanted to for food or you could do food plots? Really? But it's so pretty, too. The grass is so pretty. Yeah. It has this, like, this native untouched feel to it. I don't know how to describe it to you. Yeah. But... That's that's kind of the battle you'll see. There's people that don't want to do it because there's a, there's a contract to it, and they're locked in for that amount of time. They can't do anything, and they can make more money off corn and beans. So when you're locked into your contract for 15 years, does your rate not change? Or even once you're in your contract, does your rate change yearly based on what other stuff's paying out? No, it's locked in. So your rate's locked in since they signed in. the contract back in the day. Yeah. And how does that, like, you don't got to give me a number, but how does that compare relative to what people are paying for I'll least, give you number. least farm ground. So in our area, and I'm not a farmer, but yeah. I've, what I've found is like between 150 to $250 is kind of the going rate. Per acre. Per acre. If you were going to have somebody farm your ground. Corn or beans. Okay. That's kind of what I, I mean, 
one hundred is really low. So about two hundred bucks an acre. Is I that would fair say, to say? 200 to 250 bucks an acre okay for corn and beans and you can expect i think last year it was like 180 for crp what do you mean last year i thought you said it didn't change like i think annually it changes oh it does yeah like it's like a market thing it fluctuates oh i I was asking like when they locked you in back in the day if that's your rate every year that they pay you but every year going forward i think the, the number changes based on for new people, but For that doesn't people. affect you. Correct. Okay. So last year it was 180. I think so. Around there. So that's that's relatively comparable to what people are getting for leased ground. And you got to realize, like, somebody's advocating for this, right? Like, mm-hmm. the president has to sign the bill for the USDA. Like, there's funding from the government going yeah. towards the CRP program. So, like, people are lobbying, you know, yeah. it, you know, in Washington, like, hey, we need more money for this program because it's a good program. But it's we want to we want to compete. Yeah. We want to compete with corn and beans, basically. Yeah. Basically, I'm kind of. And they got cost sharing. They're trying to offer and stuff. Like, yeah, there's money. So it's like a it's like it's like a regulated program, but I think it's a good program if you are not a. Uh, I mean, in the Bible too, like every seven years you'd need to give your ground rest. You wouldn't even farm. See, but there's a and that's l- like a big part of farming too. You need yeah. to let your ground rest. Yeah. Every handful of years. So I know people, even if they don't enroll in the program, I know farmers who let their field be fallow just just to let it have a break. But if you're looking at a chunk of ground or a deer, a farm that you're trying to turn into a good deer hunting farm, mm-hmm. you're going to look for some cover. A lot of guys talk about planting warm season grasses, and then you talk about planting food. So there's guys that probably manage their property and say, I'm going to plant myself i'm going to plant warm season grasses in this area and i'm going to plant corn over here and then i'm going to leave this timber reserve and do some 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 tsi and hinge cutting and i'm going to do you know yeah i'm going to create cover here like if you depending on how it works if you can break it up and say like look at your property and say this is the area that i would plant warm season grasses instead i'm going to enroll it in crp like yeah there's a term to it but wouldn't you rather get paid to have that in grasses versus having to pay to plant it in grasses yourself. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you can break it up, yeah. you could have a farmer lease this chunk for, and put food in here and you can still do food plots where you want. And You're a big fan of Jeff Sturgis. Uh, yeah. I mean, I listen, listen and watch a lot of his stuff. What? It, so he, he always talks about like, if you have an open field, mm-hmm. just like an open field, let's say a 20 acre field. He always says he, he'd plant grass, yeah. he'd plant switch and he'd put, like pockets of diversity, right? Yeah. yeah. That's basically what CRP is. You got the grass. We're talking about hunting now. I mean, yeah. we're kind of wrapping this around to hunting. But, like, you got this grass, and then if you have, like, structure and diversity of little pockets of, what does he call it? He has, like, a specific term he says. I don't know. Diversity and inclusion or something like yeah, that? Yeah, inclusion is the word. Um, But... That's his specific terms, but that's basically what CRP is. All of a sudden, you got a cedar tree. Mm-hmm. Oh, all of a sudden, you got a what is that? Like a butterfly bush or whatever. Yeah. You got a I don't know all the the terms and names, but you got really good hunting too from CRP long term. Yeah, we were just talking to somebody though, and I'd be interested with your specific program for you. Like, if you're going to go down and talk to these people based on all the stuff you got to do, I'd be interested for you to talk to them about your ability. to to potentially plant some food plots. Yeah. Reason being is I can't, 
I think I knew who we were talking to, but we were talking to somebody that has some ground that's enrolled in CRP. And they were able to get like a, a waiver or an approval to plant a food plot in a specific spot that is enrolled in CRP. But basically they went and said like, look, I'm going to plant a food plot, but I'm not tilling. Like, here's my method. I'm going to overseed and do this. And I just want this spot to be food. And because you weren't breaking the soil or something, they were they, they gave him a waiver and approval for that s- spot to turn it into CRP. I would love to hear more about that. Because who is this? Somebody you know? It was somebody you and I were talking to at the Great American Outdoor Show. Oh, I see. Yeah. I remember now. And that, to me, like, that's a good way to get around. Because a lot of people feel like they're handcuffed with the contract. Is like, well, shoot, now I can't do anything on my property for I didn't know that you said that. Yeah. Hmm. So, and, and, and it may be specific programs or, like, certain properties aren't eligible. I don't know. It could be based on the watershed. It could be based on a million things. But I just remember him saying they they were able to get a waiver to plant some food in a in a CRP spot. Yeah. I listened to a pod it was like the Meat Eater podcast. It was a while back and they were talking about CRP and I remember like it was like it was informative for me, but I remember Renella kept asking whoever it was like why do people not want to be a part of this program? Mm-hmm. He couldn't get like he he's like well, why would somebody want to do this? You know what I mean? Like yeah. why? Like, it sounds great. Like, there's got to be something. And from, like, I wanted to, like, talk right then, like, in their podcast. I wanted to jump in and be like, well, here's why, you know, because, like, yeah. I'm the guy. Yeah. I'm I'm one of the guys that they wanted to ask that question to. But he had somebody on from, like, the TRCP, and they were talking about what's happening in, you know, in the next year and what what's being lobbied for, and CRP came up. Um, But, yeah, it's like there's there's really only, like, a couple of negative things about the program in terms of, like, you know, if you're a hunter, like I was trying to say, like if you're a hunter and you're about wildlife, you're about like a pretty landscape, QDMA, like soil erosion, yeah. like it's a sweet program. However, the downside is there's two things: there's the pay, right? They're trying to be competitive, so I know that in the past years, like they're trying to raise the the yeah. rent up per acre, and then B, you get the term. You're locked in for this amount of time. And there's different terms, too. So there's like a, I think there's an eight-year. Or 15. I'm sorry. It might be 10, 15, and even longer. Well, that's why this this waiver concept intrigued me. Because if, if, if the reason people are scared off about it is because of you're being handcuffed, but if you have a way to submit a waiver or a waiver request or something that says, Hey, this area is something I'm interested in doing a food plot, yeah. but it's for wildlife and exactly. here's how I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to break the ground. Everybody do it. Like why would exactly, I think there needs to be, I mean, it's the government, right? So that, yeah. that's, but there needs to be, there's, a, there's probably not a lot of trust there with some of the local people. I mean, if you've got a local USDA office, and it's it's a county by county thing too, if mm-hmm. you didn't know that. But if there's a little leeway like that, you know the guy, and they're like, yeah, you know that's that sounds great. It's great for everything involved. Right. Why not? Let's do it. You're not breaking the you know the ground, and it serves a good purpose. Like if that was me and that that was my job, I'd be like, absolutely, go for it. Because I was listening to um, a Wired to Hunt podcast. And they had a gentleman on, I can't remember his first name, but he's from uh, Habitat Solutions, mm-hmm. I think, is the company. Anyway, they're, they've are they developed this 
food plot mix that has a bunch of different food varieties in one mix, mm-hmm. but they're very into the idea of not breaking the ground. So this is kind of made me think of you in a way that you could, if this waiver thing was a possibility, what they do is you, you go and you broadcast this seed into the standing grass before you terminate. So like this spring, you would go, you'd pick a spot and you would broadcast this food seed. It's like a, a bunch of different things. It could be brassicas, it could be clover, it could be rye, it could be whatever. I don't know what's in the, the mix, but you, you broadcast this seed into the standing grass while it's standing and that helps it fall down to that bed of like thatch and then you terminate so at that point then you would go brush hog the grass or you would i don't think even lightly disc but you would bush hog the grass or you would would spray and then all that dead stuff lays on top of it and holds that moisture and then all that that grows through yeah you just don't even break the ground if anything this conversation is making me want to go home and read more about all this because i got a lot of questions that i still don't know a lot of the uh, the answers to all this. So, but honestly, though, I mean, it sounds like a lot of work, but I'm actually really looking forward to it. You're gonna learn a lot. I mean, it's gonna be a lot of fun. I mean, at the end of the day, we're gonna be out outside Growing with some here. some purpose. Yeah, yeah. Have have something to do. Love it. I can't wait. I think we had a really good conversation right there. Yeah. It was just good old. I mean, and that just healthy. that just cracks the surface with all the habitat stuff we want to do too i mean i got a i know 40 acre piece of ground that i don't really even know much about yet so dude so we like in a in a sentence as, as we close out here just like kind of tease probably some of the things we'll end up talking about because i know people have been kind of following along but if you're new to the podcast or just need to refresh your like Devin just bought a new property like recently yeah, kind of. I guess you'd consider it kind of my dream farm. Like, ideally, I'd like to continue to buy land over my life, but we bought our forever home, and it sits on a on a chunk of ground that's just shy of forty acres. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, for lack of better words, there's there's a lot that and you can and needs to be done on that ground, and we don't even you don't even know what that necessarily is quite certainly no. yet, do you? No, I'm excited to get out there and shed hunt and. Um, I mean, like, just like I literally Spend a couple, week, time, couple yeah. weeks ago, I just went and walked the per, like the actual perimeter of the property, which like I hadn't done that. Like I've been out on the property, obviously walked it before I bought it and everything. But I mean, like, yeah. I walked the the hundred percent perimeter of the property, and just like you already learned some things, especially when everything's dead. It's after the season; you can see a long way. All the foliage is down. Like you're seeing old, you know, old but relatively fresh sign from the season. Like I learned a lot. But then it just made me want to do all these other things. So I got ideas and plans, but it's all time and money. That honest, uh, that yeah, time and money, time and money. It's honestly sometimes not the the money. It's just the, the time. time. Yeah, time, the time. Like, cause doing it's one thing, but doing it the right way and making sure it's worth, like, worth the time you're spending on it. Like, you gotta take the time. But so. We're going to follow this up in the latter part of March. Yeah. We'll do a follow-up and actually talk about how it went, and you'll be a part of one of those days for sure, at least the burning day. Yeah. And then... Um, yeah, because we got a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Like, last year was our first corn year that we, like, messed around with planting some corn ourselves. Like, major lessons learned there. Yeah. I don't... 
I haven't talked to you about what your plan is. I may do some corn again this year, but I'm really beans. excited. I'm planting like two acres of beans, I think. Two acres? One and a half to two acres of beans, yeah. And just let it be. I'm really, really excited for that, too. You going to buy a corn planter? I think I'm going to broadcast seed the beans. I've been watching a lot of content on doing that. Um, managing the weeds after with a sprayer is important. Let's make this another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Really enjoyed this conversation. Hopefully you guys did too. If you want to reach out to us, you can do that in a bunch of different ways. But the easiest way would be to go to the website, paintedarrowoutdoors.com. Click the contact tab and just shoot us a message. We appreciate you. Perfect. Thank you. Perfect. See you. Perfect.